Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. We are so excited to be here and excited to have our friend Debbie Steinberg-Kunz with us today, who is the founder of all things bright and quirky and somebody we've really enjoyed collaborating with for several years now. So welcome, Debbie. Thanks, Elaine. Hi, Diane. Happy to be here. Glad to have you here. Debbie, why don't you just start by sharing with our audience a little bit about how you ended up where you are and and what you do in the world? Okay. Well, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I started my private practice a little over a decade ago, just outside of Seattle. And the population that was coming to see me were parents who worked in high tech. We've got Microsoft and Amazon and Google here. And they're bright and quirky kids, kids with ADHD, autism, anxiety, learning differences like dyslexia, who are also very bright and gifted. So I think of these as the bright and quirky kids and families. I've got two of these kids of my own and things were going very well in my private practice. And I was thinking, how could I spread what I'm learning to more families. Because as you know, it's a very complex journey with not enough professional helpers. And Mm -hmm. so in 2018, I did a virtual summit called the Bright and Quirky Child Online Summit. And with no marketing, we got 15,000 people from over 100 countries. And I said, okay, wow, there are a lot of of people interested in solutions for bright and quirky kids. And then we started a membership called the Bright and Quirky Idea Lab, which is our parent learning community. And there's no shortage of families with this very uh, niche and unique profile of being both bright and quirky. So now I actually closed my private practice. I'm doing 100% online to thousands of people all around the world. It's amazing, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. So you had this professional experience and you also have a personal experience in this realm. Yes. So how do you want to speak to that a little bit as we kind of bring all of this into the space? Well, it's interesting because you would think talking to families about this all the time that I would be totally fine getting a diagnosis for my own children But that lived experience of having my parent hat on, were you sort of real when you first get that diagnosis and then searching for solutions and realizing when you put the the bright or gifted piece with the other pieces. So we call these kids twice exceptional because one exception to the norm is that they're really bright. And another exception is that they have lagging skills in certain areas. So they're twice exceptional. 
almost no teachers have been trained in twice exceptionality. Almost no doctors, call, uh, counselors, psychologists. I've talked to educational therapists, teacher psychologists who've never heard of the term twice yeah. exceptional. So living that with my parent hat on and realizing how really so many books didn't fit, so many visits with professionals didn't fit, teacher yeah. advice didn't fit. It's like, where am I going to go? So really... I created Bright and Quirky out of the very complex struggle I had with my own kids. And I realized if this is so hard for me in the field, it's yeah. got to be exponentially harder for parents without the information I already had. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So and which is what brought I, Diane and I to this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, and what I'm called to ask next is like, so walk us through what's different about the 2E kid, the bright and quirky kid. What makes them unique? What makes them really unique is it's really interesting because we live in a certain medical model, a certain school model, where if you have a child with lagging skills or issues in school, which is typically executive function challenges, which I won't go into because your listeners probably know all about that, challenging behaviors, anxiety, burnout in school, they then go to through a 504 IEP process in school or go to a counselor and it's all this focus on deficits. Right. Here's what's wrong. Here's what's broken. Here's what's yeah. wrong. Let's find it and fix it. Right. But I've spoken to many, many experts, including you guys, Joseph Renzulli, who say, you know, 100% focus on remediation just doesn't work. So mm-hmm. for twice exceptional kids and really for any child, we want to focus two to one on strengths. But the diagnostic model says nothing about strengths. And school curriculums are often cookie cutter, not necessarily made for kids like ours. So I find myself talking to teachers about how can we weave a child's strengths into the Mm -hmm. coursework? If they can pick a book, let's pick a book that's relevant to their interests. Let's choose an essay topic that's relevant to their interests. Our population is really vulnerable to a problematic internet use. How do we develop interests and strengths offline. These things are really important. And the strengths, uh, people just don't realize how much we need to focus on strengths versus challenge areas. We did a podcast recently with Jonathan Mooney and the term he used that I loved was tutor the strengths. Yeah. Okay, fine. Get a tutor for math or whatever that, you know, needs to be remediated, but tutor the strengths, cultivate the strengths. And I thought it was just a great way to look at it. Oh, I love that. Love that. Well, and, and what you're, what you're calling to Debbie is this idea that the school particularly isn't designed to support these kids. And I'm thinking about two scenarios. I'm thinking about the kid with executive function challenges who can't get a 504 because they're too smart and they're doing fine in school. And then I've got the kid who's, you know, who is ready for a gifted program, but has behavior challenges. And so the school says you can't be in the gifted program until your behavior is fixed. And the reality is that their behavior is bad because of the, the, The their board and the the regular school. And I happen to have one of each of those. So I'm not, (laughs) you know, not speaking from experience or anything, but that's really part of what's going on is we've got both of this dynamic going on that the school doesn't quite fit these kids. Right. Bingo. I mean, you just nailed it, Diane. And that is so confusing to parents. And often when they go for a neuropsych assessment, 
they'll find out that they have these really strong strengths and these really lagging areas and they collapse into each other and make a child look average. So let's say, you know, a twice exceptional child has dyslexia. Well, they might be able to compensate for years and not look different than their same age peers. But when we test, we're like, oh my goodness, there's so much compensation going on because of the brightness. So they're really a puzzle. Yeah, they are a puzzle. And for us as parents, it's a puzzle to figure out how do we navigate it, right? Because we want to support them. We see their potential. We see their capacity. And if the system isn't set up to support that, and in fact, I I think both the school system and you referenced earlier the medical model, right? We start off with this deficit approach that says, this is what's broken. This is what's wrong. This is what, and it starts from the moment the doc, we go to the teacher conference and the teacher's telling us what's the problem, or we go to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses what's the problem. Right. And there's nobody saying, wow, what's the possibility? Exactly. Except for the parent who doesn't really know how to navigate it because it's so frustrating and scary. And it's funny you mentioned that word possibility because after interviewing over 300 experts, I created a success path for these families called the possibility plan. And mm-hmm. There, I'm happy to say there is a path. And I was just on a business retreat in Hawaii. And um, I had this. This is what you can do when you live in Seattle is you can go on a business (laughs) retreat in Hawaii. I love that. It was my my first one ever. But I had this huge epiphany after doing this for five years that after being on this obsessive journey of finding the answers that were so hard to find that I found them and I taught them to my kids and we live it as a lifestyle and I teach Mm -hmm. it to other families. And I just had this moment like, oh my gosh, I've done it. Yeah. And then I got home and my son came home from college and he said, mom, I have to thank you because there's one concept you taught me that is central to my life. And I really am so grateful. And that concept is the idea of being a self-scientist. Mm-hmm. That's what I call it. And we don't know what's going to work for our brain until we run experiments. So we live life almost like we're at a science fair. And, you know, whether it's how to wake up in the morning, how to create the habit of hanging up your towel, how to eat when you're not particularly hungry because you're on an ADHD med, how to get back in the game when you have a lot of um, assignments that are incompletes, you know, twice exceptional yep. kids. I call them the A's and F's kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> A's when they do the assignment, F's when they don't. Or A's when they love the material and F's when they don't. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So instead of trying all these different things and going, ah, that's another thing that hasn't worked. It's like, oh, I just ran another experiment. I'm going to do less of what doesn't work. I'm going to do more of what does work. And over time, you build a toolkit of experiments. And that's been a game changer for us. Mm -hmm. Well, and what you're describing is it's a tool for kids, right? It's just sort of, we want to teach our kids to be like that. And we've got to do it first. And I think a lot of times parents get stuck in, oh, I got to find the right answer. Tell me what to do. Elaine, we were going to jump in, I see. Yeah, well, so here's what's coming up. And Diane and I have been talking about this a lot lately. The difference between a solution-oriented approach and a process-oriented approach. Mm. And what we do and what you're describing that you do 
is we walk parents and kids through the process of problem solving for ourselves. And so we're not looking for the solution or the fix. We're looking for to guide ourselves through a way of figuring out how to manage better and better and better. And that's a huge shift from the traditional model, which is this is broken. Here's the fix for it. Right. You can give a parent a, a reward chart all day long. But if they don't know why they're using it or specifically how to get the buy-in to use it effectively. Or why it's not working when it doesn't work. Exactly. Then it's not going to help. Yeah, I do definitely agree with that. I think what I use that is solution-focused is this thing I started early in my counseling practice, which is asking clients, because everyone would come in and say, Debbie, how long is this going to take? So I would say, okay, on a scale from one to 10 where 10 is your child is thriving like never before. And one is they're so miserable, they can barely get out of bed. When your child and family are at an eight or higher, I will consider our work well done. Mm -hmm. And that works till this day so that we can check in on what I call the thrive scale. And we're running experiments to increase our score on the thrive scale. But we do that by being in this process. Right. And I've been reading a lot of books lately about forecasting and Mm decision-making. And you're right. There is no right answer. If you've met one twice exceptional kid, you've met one twice exceptional kid. We don't actually know what's going to work for your child until we try it. And -hmm. through this process of trial and error or trial and insight, we get to be more right and less wrong over time. Right. Which feels great because the solutions are in the successes and we get more and more right. We can apply it to other things. Which ties back to our conversation earlier about strengths over deficits and how the human brain, whether it's our kid's brain or our brain, feels better when we're focusing on the things that are working rather than things that aren't. Yeah. And I think it helps us reframe what's not working, that it's you know, I always think about that Edison quote. I'm going to not, I'm, I'm not going to remember. Thousand, like 10,000 ways. Right, right. Yeah. It, it took him 10,000 experiments to invent the light bulb. So right. it just helps me reframe, oh, one more thing that didn't work instead of getting into this really like, what's the point, hopeless mindset and just mind thinking, not helpful thoughts. It's Okay all right, this is one more experiment that didn't work. Let's try the next experiment. It's it's really an approach to life. It is. And what just came up to me as you were talking, I was thinking about this conversation I had with one of my young adults last night, my own kids. And that shift when they fall into that kind of place of desperation, I don't know what to do, I can't figure it out, versus what happens when they feel inspired and possibility and, okay, here's what I think I can do. And it's natural and human, right, to fall into that place of, of worry, and especially when our kids have anxiety and issues like that. And I think when the work that we're all doing, it's about helping parents step out of desperation and find the, the inspiration so that they can help their kids find the inspiration. Because we have to inspire these kids to want to see their own possibility and to be their best selves. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I love the quote, you know, don't believe everything you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think we really have to have an awareness if a thought is helpful or not. And I love the work of Kristen Neff and how she has an exercise of how to talk to yourself like you would talk to a friend. Yes. And our kids do rely on ourselves, uh, rely on us 
to be their source of hope. Mm-hmm. And I've I've learned through interviewing experts how important it is, especially in ADHD, to praise the smallest things. Yes. Yeah. They just need little rays of sunshine, no matter how small. And it it really amazes me. Just, you know, hey, thanks for writing your name on your paper. Hey, I know you have a lot of assignments to do and you're I, I see it's hard to get started with the work, but you're at the computer. You made that decision. I really appreciate that. I really see that you're trying just the small stuff. I once said to one of my kids, you made it to school with both shoes today. (laughs) (laughs) Way to go. Way to go. Yes. True story. It sounds sounds so hard, but it's not hard. It's the wrong word. It sounds so basic. And yet we forget how much these kids internal dialogue and external feedback is all about the things that they're not doing right. I mean, they, let's go back to the, the focus is on the deficit. And so just that subtle shift on maybe not the strengths even, but just the little teeny tiny successes as you're well, sharing. Basic is, is foundational, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, you got to start with a foundation. You can't, you can't build a house without a foundation. Exactly. And this is where I think so many parents of bright and quirky kids feel very judged by society because yes, we know because we all have these kids how important these micro successes are. Someone listening to us might be thinking, why are you praising something so small? They might not understand. And I've had moms say to me, my husband doesn't get it. My in-laws don't get it. So being in a community like yours, like mine, where you're with like-minded people, where you're reframing both success and, you know, failed experiments or things that didn't work, you know, when a child goes to a traditional school and they're bright and quirky, as one put it, parent put it, they are like star-shaped pegs in round holes. They're getting so many messages of not fitting. Mm -hmm. And the goal in my mind for our kids is to find the good fit life. It's not to remediate them to death. (laughs) Their head does not, you know, if we had to go to a job every day that we didn't like and work on the things that we're not good at, we'd be all day, every day. We would quit the job. We'd leave. Ideally, ideally. Well, you know, I often say, and I love, I wonder what you think, that our kids are specialists and school is a generalist's world. Mm -hmm. And so it's not until they become adults that they really often, that they really get to specialize. And what you're talking about earlier in terms of playing to their strengths and weaving into the curriculum, their strengths is helping them become the specialists that they are. And lean into that because, you know, school all the way through truly early college requests them, you know, invites them to be generalists. And our kids are kind of not generalists. Right. And they go at a different pace than our kids go at, you know, either our kids need more acceleration or Mm -hmm. Or to to slow slow down down in certain areas. But I'll tell you something that's been very interesting. Uh, I'm doing a lot of research into screen time, problematic internet use, because our population is especially vulnerable to that. And I've been interviewing a lot of kids, teens and young adults, and it's pretty fascinating. Almost to a T, they are not engaged in school, but they're very engaged in self-directed learning on the internet. Oh my God. So true. I literally over Thanksgiving break looked at my 21 year old son and I said, 
I've got to give you credit for getting an incredible education, despite the fact that you have to go to school all the time. Right. Exactly. Because you know so much and it boggles my mind. And most of it didn't come from any class he ever took. Yeah. And, you know, I'm an idealist, Elaine, and and I'm just thinking, like, how would we reconceptualize education to be as exciting as YouTube, as open to self-directed learning and still graduate with, you know, whatever they need to be successful in life? Because with the right sort of learning opportunities, they're very engaged. Yeah. Well, and let's just let's just give a shout out because there's a lot of teachers out there that work so hard every day, Debbie, to do just that and are as successful as they can be in a really controlled environment where they have standards and requirements and things like that, that they have to meet as a teacher and still work really hard to engage these kids creatively in ways that stimulate and pull out their strengths and everything else. So I just want to shout out those teachers. Fair fair shout out. And I I mean, look at what we're up against, right? This whole realm of the, the dopamine center that is technology in every aspect of our lives. And you said you're doing a a technology related summit in 2023 and we did one in 2020. It's, we can't overestimate. It's hard to, to really comprehend how much it's taken over our lives in such a short period of time. Well, my uh, 20 year old was saying, mom, you know, online things are so interwoven with our lives. And we went out to dinner that night and I left my phone at home by accident and I couldn't access the menu because it had a QR code. That's yeah. right. And I thought, you know, it's so true. And none of us are given education on online, offline balance. What are the pitfalls? What are the strengths? So I'm, yeah. it's just a really juicy topic for me. So I'm, I'm really enjoying the research. Well, I'm super psyched that you're going to be bringing it, bringing it. I can't wait to play with you in that space. That's good. Me too. Well, so as we, as we get it, because I'm watching our time here, Debbie, how do people get in touch with you? What's the best way to connect with you online, offline, whichever? Yes. The best way to connect with me is at brightandquirky.com with the and spelled out A-N-D. We'll have that in the show notes. Okay, great. And if you join the newsletter, We'll let you know in the spring when the summit is coming all about internet use and it'll be juicy. And as soon as the summit's out there, we will put that in the show notes for those of you who are listening months from now (laughs) as well. (laughs) We'll have the link to the summit of the show notes. Thank you. As well. Awesome. So is there anything you feel like you want to share with parents in this conversation? We've kind of talked in a lot of different ways. What do you want to either wrap it up with or what do you want to share that we haven't talked about yet? I would say if you feel like you are struggling for answers, there are very concrete answers on this path, very, very capable guides, but they're few and far between. Elaine and Diane are fabulous guides. We're offering guidance at Bright and Quirky. And I would just say, uh, borrow a quote from uh, Dr. Edward Hallowell, which is never worry alone. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Get yourself in a community that really can guide you on this journey because there are answers and just to be in community with other parents and professionals can be so validating and so anxiety reducing. Well, it it ends the isolation, which is just so debilitating. I know that for so many years, I I felt so alone because my kid didn't have one diagnosis. 
yeah. that kid had multiple issues. And so I never found a place where I belonged. And I think there are well, a lot of parents out there. Yeah. And not just that, as you said at the start, Debbie, it's like a lot of people just don't get this. A lot of people right. who are actively working with our kids don't yeah. get this in the same way that we do. And it yeah. highlights how important it is for our parents to know that their job can be to be advocate, can be to be educator for the other adults in your kid's life. And so hopefully that feels like a an opportunity and not a burden, but it's uh, it's an important piece. Debbie, as we wrap up, it's been so great to talk to you. It always is. You have such a great message for our, for our audience and, and I'm excited to Good see where yours. you go with your new summit. Can you share a favorite quote or a motto or something to kind of wrap us all up? I think the motto I live by is blow on the embers of your children's strengths. Ooh, is that yours? I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. Don't drink the deficit Kool-Aid. You know, yeah. do do we need to work on our child's challenges, challenge areas? Absolutely. But even more important is to blow on the embers of their strengths. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you for your work, for what you're doing in the world. And it's been a light to have you join this, this realm that we've been playing in for so long and to have other people who are sort of hammering out this message of positivity in this realm and, and focusing on strengths. It's so, it's so refreshing and it's so lightening for the parents who are, who are hearing it. So thank you for that work. Oh, thanks so much, Elaine. And thanks to both of you. Your work is so solid. And I, I know it's helping a lot of people. I know of people who are in both of our communities and finding yeah, both really many. useful. And um, yeah, it's just so great to be on the journey with such amazing guides and what you are doing really works and is also positive. And thanks for getting the word out to families. There's so many families struggling that um, that you're helping. So thank you for that. And thank you to all those of you who are listening, uh, parents and the work you're doing for yourself and your kids at the end of the day, it makes all the difference. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.